Holy, holy are you, Lord God Almighty. We worship you this morning. We thank you, God, for bringing us here. We thank you for the opportunity you've given us to come before you, Lord, to come into your presence, Lord, and by your grace and mercy we are here. But we've come to seek you, to hear from you, to see you, Lord. So open our eyes, Lord. Open the eyes of our heart and our mind to you and all of your glory and greatness, God. I pray that you bless your word right now and that your Holy Spirit would anoint this time. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone, once again. If you can grab your Bibles and open them up to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. And uh, we're going to continue to make our way through this book in our second study in the book of Revelation. Now, the title of our message today is Face to Face with Jesus. And I was thinking about how some people have claim to see the face of Jesus. Last April in 2020, actually just last year in Colombia, a crowd of people broke the coronavirus quarantine to pray to an image of Jesus that appeared in the tree. You can see it on the screen. The tree branches made a cross figure on it, and what appeared to be is this, what people say, resembled the face of Jesus right there in the middle I think you guys can see that. So, hey, they broke quarantine just to go and see and pray. A few years back, a woman captured this image. You can see this uh, on her camera phone of what looked like Jesus with his arms stretched out, beaming down through the clouds in Argentina. Monica Aramayo posted this on social media, and then one person commented and said, The Lord will soon come for us all, and we should be ready. Yeah, we should be ready, right? One more here in Brisbane, Australia, the owner of Posh Pizza baked a medium three-cheese pizza and out came what appeared to be the face of Jesus on top of it. What do you think, huh? Does that look yummy? Marie Fellon said her pizza oven was seemingly blessed with the presence of Jesus Christ. She even said that, that this pizza blessed her in that she had parked in a loading zone and she didn't get a ticket. Kind of a little maybe good luck thing she was saying. Well, if you can imagine, she took that pizza and vacuum packed it, put it up on eBay. And I don't know, the article didn't say what she got for it. But hey, you never know. I mean, 10 years ago, I don't have a picture of this, but 10 years ago, I grilled, uh, actually a 10-year-old grilled cheese sandwich with the image of what is said to be the Virgin Mary sold on eBay for $28,000. Can you believe that? Well, in all these images through all these years, I always like to see these things. I think, I think it's awesome. But every time I see things like this, you know what I ask? How do you know that's what Jesus looked like? How do you know, right? I mean, we just kind of see the image and oh, the hair, you know, the face. Oh, yeah, that, yeah that's, that's Jesus. But how do you really know? Well, today, as we come into the second study of the book of Revelation, the Apostle John gives us this description of Jesus as he comes face to face with him when John is commissioned actually to write this book. So again, that's why I titled our message, Face to Face with Jesus. We're going to be studying Revelation chapter 1 from verse 9 through 20. We're going to do the rest of this chapter, of chapter 1 this morning. And we're going to see three things here with John. We see number one, the assignment. Then we see Jesus, the appearance, and then this 
The assurance comes from Jesus. So that's our outline. Let's begin here. Number one, the assignment. The assignment. Now, we're going to be covering verses 9 through 11 in chapter 1 here. For those of you taking notes in this section of the assignment. But first of all, look at verse 9. Verse 9, we start there. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on the account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So we'll stop right there. As we come into this next section in this chapter now, John really, the Apostle John is testifying on how this this letter, this book all came about. And so he's testifying to the fact, he says, I, John, I'm the one here who wrote writing this. I'm the one who witnessed this. He's saying, I, John, your brother, or a brother in Christ, right, to all you believers, and partner in the tribulation. And that's interesting because there is tribulation going on with the believers right now, or we should say trials or trouble that is going on. That's what tribulation means. So John is partaking also in all of the persecution that has come upon the believers and so that's why he's saying this but hey i'm partnering with you here with uh uh, with you guys in this tribulation and he says i'm also a partner of the kingdom which is the kingdom of god he's a citizen also and he says and the patient endurance that are in jesus so i'm also enduring and holding on through this trial as god's uh, citizens of his kingdom are being persecuted. So John, along with the believers, are holding on to Jesus with patient endurance here. That they're keeping going, even things are really troubling. See, at this time, empire-wide, Roman empire-wide, persecution is going on. Believers are suffering economically, socially, politically. At this time, Emperor Domitian Domitian? Domitian. There we go. Domitian. He was in rule, and he was very anti-Christian. This Caesar, he went after all the Christians. He even put out an edict that all the empire would worship him or be put to death. So that was really targeting these believers who would not bow in that way and only bow to Jesus. Well, it was during this time now, John's writing, that he was on the island called Patmos. And he was on their account of the word of God. He was preaching and his testimony, his faith in Christ. So he's there. He's banished really on this island. It's like a prison island there for standing up for Jesus Christ. This early church writer at Tertullian actually says that the Caesar tried to boil him in oil. And, and that didn't work. God saved him miraculously. And so the so uh, Domitian banished him to this island of Patmos. Now, it's a small island, rocky, volcanic island. It's kind of like about the size of Kaholabe right here off the side. So it was a prisoner island. It's a, a labor camp there. And so John was banished there. So as we open here today, and in the verse 9, at this time, things could not have been worse for the Apostle John and the believers in Jesus. Things could not have gotten worse. Can you imagine how what they were feeling? You know, I mean, I mean, it's easy to lose hope in all of this. I mean, the government is after you. Uh, Christians are being persecuted and killed and martyred all around. And then here's John. I mean, 
I wonder for you, he might have been a little bit discouraged, you know. And you can see how easy that might be for any believer there. Think about John. John is the last of the apostles, as all the other ones have already died. They've, they've died or been killed, basically martyred, they were all. The church is in danger of basically being stamped out systematically as the emperor goes after all Christians. John here is on this island of Patmos, forced to sleep on bare ground, live off of barely nothing, and treated as a criminal. And can, can, can you imagine? He's, he's like 90 years old. And he's forced into this hard labor. That's how old he is at this time. And he's on this island of Patmos. So here's the situation. It's not great. Here's what's going on. But it was at this time Jesus came to John. Take a look at verse 10 and 11 now. John said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, and Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. So here's John now giving his testimony of how he got commissioned. So he was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, first of all, in verse 10. Now, the Lord's Day here is Sunday. Back then, we, we know from the New Testament study that the Lord's Day, their church, like us meeting now, it was Sunday. So it was on Sunday that all this happened. And you know what I really like to note is verse 10 where he says, I was in the Spirit. What a statement. He wasn't in the flesh. That's what I was thinking. He was in the Spirit. He was connected to the Holy Spirit here. And as, as John here, I, I love this. He's, he's with the Lord. He, it's the Lord's Day. He's still having church no matter what's going on. Even there on Patmos, he said, I'm, I'm in church right now. And I was connected. I was, I was with the Spirit in that time in tune. So, at that moment, there in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, verse 10, he said, I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. Now, this loud voice came out, and when he describes it like a trumpet, it's like a trumpet calling. And back then, the trumpet would like uh, lead the army, right? Give commands on, and depending on how it's blown. The trumpet would be blown to call worshipers to the temple to worship. So this was like this command going on. So this loud voice, John is saying, I heard this command. It was like a trumpet call, basically, what he's saying. It was the Lord commanding him, calling out to him. And then he hears this voice. God is saying, write what you see in a book. And that's what we have today. And that's what we're studying. This letter in a book and sent, send it to the seven Churches. Remember we talked about seven, the number of completion last week, and seven churches or seven churches in that area of modern-day Turkey. And he is to send this book there to pass it around to all these churches, these seven churches. But there's more churches. They were the main churches, and they were going to pass it on. And again, seven, that number of completion really talks about the, all the churches, and that's why we're even reading it today. And we'll get more into that next time too. So... The seven churches are number one, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Those are the seven churches. We're going to get into that next time or the next weeks, I should say, as we get to the letters to the seven churches. We're going to hit each one probably each week. So that's his assignment, right? Write down, put it together in a book, and they're going to be passed to the seven churches. 
So, this is the assignment that had been given to John. Write it down. It's going to be passed to the churches. So, I want you to see something before we go on. When John received the assignment, it was in the hardest and darkest of times that Jesus came with the revelation. Think about that. This is the background going on. When the assignment came for John, it was in the hardest and darkest of times that Jesus came with the revelation. I love that, you guys. I, I, it's so encouraging to me in these first three verses to see that because that's what Jesus does in our life. You know, I was reading about when a Darlene uh, Zetch was going through the darkest days of her life that Jesus came and spoke to her while she was reading Psalm 96. Then out of that time, the Lord gave her a worship song. And you know what song was born? Shout to the Lord. You guys know that, right? Shout to the Lord. That was born. That was given from her darkest time. In the mid-1800s, Joseph Scriven lost his fiancée to the accident. Then a little later, he had moved to Canada and he got engaged again. That fiancé got sick and died. Crazy. It was a hard, dark time for him. But during that time, he wrote down this poem. And a year later, he gave it to his mother. And he described to his mother how Jesus had come to him through his times of prayer. Well, ten years later, after he written that uh, about his friendship with Jesus, uh, uh, a guy named Charles Converse put it to music, put it into a hymn back then, and the title was changed from Pray Without Ceasing to What a Friend We Have in Jesus. You know that hymn, right? What a friend we have in Jesus. So that came out, that beautiful song came out of a very dark time, but Jesus came to him and gave him that song. One more, Mark Bird had lost everything. He was broke. He was in deep despair, and he he chose to spend a whole weekend just studying the psalm, just reading the psalms. And Jesus, he said, came to him, and there was this song that was born out of that time, and it's called God of Wonders. You know that song, God of Wonders Beyond <laughs> Galaxy. <laughs> Do I know it? No. You are whole, right? That song was born out of this man who was with the Lord, and God gave him that song. Did you know they played that song to wake up the astronauts on four to five of the space shuttle missions? Isn't that awesome, the third day version? I think that's awesome. But what a great word that came out, a revelation that came out of those dark times. And so that's what I want you to see. It was in the hardest and darkest of times that Jesus came with this revelation for John, for the believers in the church, to encourage them, to give them hope here. And I'll tell you, that's what I found. It's during the greatest suffering that the greatest revelations come. Perhaps you've had your worst week ever this week. Perhaps it's been so hard. Perhaps you're going through something that's it's the worst time in your whole life. But know this, right? When the night is the darkest, the stars are the brightest. Isn't that right? When the night is the darkest, the stars, stars are the bright, brightest. So if you're feeling like you're stranded on your island of Patmos, that you're in this barren place, that, that you've been banished 
Maybe you feel in prison like in an unhappy marriage or confined to a hospital bed or maybe your business failed or, or you're, you have this medical condition you're struggling with. Whatever your Patmos island is, Jesus wants to come and give you a new revelation. He wants to give you a new view of Him. He wants to come face to face with you right now. So that's our hope today. And know that as we begin here, right in this first section. So this is the assignment. It's the background to, to all this coming uh, to place. And now number two, the appearance. The appearance. The appearance. Look at verse 12. We're going to cover verse 12 through 16, those of you taking notes. But first, look at verse 12. It says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. In verse 13, And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man. And stop right there. So John hears this command, hears this voice like a trumpet. So he turns around, and what does he see? Speaking. All, first thing you see is seven golden lampstands. Now, seven golden lampstands, I picture like in the Jewish mindset, like seven menorahs, right? All, all standing there. What is that? What, what is this lampstand? What, what is these menorahs? What, what is that standing there? What, what does it represent there? Well, Jesus actually tells us in verse 20. Take a peek in verse 20. That's our last verse for today. At the end of the the verse, it says, the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So the lampstands represent the seven churches that this is written to, that the letter is going out to. So understand that right now. Notice something here if you go back to verse uh, 12 here. He's, or verse 13. In the midst of the lampstands, was like a son of man. So in the midst of that, he saw this person. He saw it was like the son of man. In other words, it had a human form, what he saw. That's what that means. But we can connect that to how Jesus called himself in the Gospels, the son of man, right? Which, which is from a prophecy of the Messiah in Daniel, taken from there, really meaning the Messiah will come as a son of man, as a human being. So we know God came in the flesh. Jesus Christ came, right, as a human being to a die on a cross and rise again. So we can connect that all where he saw this human form. But who is there? Jesus. It was Jesus who was there. And notice it. Notice this in verse verse. Uh, 12 and, and 13, right? The seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands was who? Jesus. So I love that. Jesus is in the midst of the churches. That's what we see. Jesus is right there. His presence is in the midst of the churches. Take a look at, uh, turn over to the left to Matthew. Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. Matthew 28, the last chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 28. In the very last verse, verse 20 now. Verse 20. Jesus is speaking here to the disciples and he, this is when he calls them out to go out and make disciples, be a witness, evangelize. In verse 20 he says, teaching them, the, those who are saved, to observe all that I have commanded you. And then he says this. 
At the end of verse 20, Matthew 28, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I love that thought. So here, if you connect that here with Revelation chapter 1, Jesus is there with the churches even all the way to the end of the age of the church. So Jesus is in the midst. And, you know, maybe you need to hear that today. To hear Jesus telling you, I am with you all the way to the end. I'm in the midst of even all this big mess that you're in. I'll, I'll, I'll never desert you. I'll never forsake you. Perhaps that's a word for you this morning. All right, let's go on in verse 13 now. After uh, he sees in the midst one like a son of man, then he starts describing Jesus here. He says, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. Now, let's stop right here. We begin here from this part, in the second part of verse 13, all the way to the end of 16. It's going to be this description of Jesus. And, and here we get a description of Jesus in three ways. And this is the first one. We see, number one, we see Jesus as the high priest of the church. As the high priest of the church. And let me explain. Look at verse 13 once again. It says, clothed in a long robe. One commentator said this word robe uh, many times it talks about uh, someone in, in uh, uh, royalty and all. But in the way this is used, they said this is really pertaining to a priest. And then the sash you see here in um, verse 13 around his chest really ties to the Old Testament image of the high priest. So here we see Jesus, the high priest of the church. He's in the midst of the churches. And so this was how the high priests in the Old Testament originally dressed. So what I see, that here's Jesus, not just any priest, but here's Jesus, our high priest, who died for us. He's our merciful and faithful high priest who died for our sins, Hebrews 2.17 says. Here we get this picture of Jesus as our high priest, the high priest of the church, Jesus. So you see Jesus there. Here's God, right? He's in the midst of the churches. He's, he's for us. He's not against us. He's the priest of the church, the high priest of the church. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, it says, Consequently, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So just like a, the, the high priest would do for the nation of Israel, they would intercede for the people. That's what Hebrews is saying that Jesus is doing for us. Isn't that great? Jesus is praying for you. Jesus is interceding for you. So the first image you, you want to see is here Jesus is the high priest of the church. He's the one who is for us, not against us. And then number two in verse 14 is the purifying prophet of the church. This is the second description of Jesus, the purifying prophet. Take a look now, verse 14, it says, The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. So here's this image, here's Jesus, the Son of Man, right? And we see a robe and a sash. But the next thing John describes is the hairs of his head were white. Mine's getting there. <laughs> but here's Jesus, completely white. White like wool, like snow. 
like this this pure white. And what that is talking about is the it speaks of his pure holiness. Now some say, well, it really talks about wisdom, and yes, God is wise, and we could put that in there too. But in my mind, even I believe when we studied Daniel and he saw a vision of Jesus with white, you know, in his hair, that that I saw it as his pure holiness, that whiteness in his hair there. So this speaks of his pure holiness. And then it says here in verse 14, his eyes are like a flame of fire. That means Jesus can see through you. That Jesus can see everything. That Jesus can pierce through your outer, outside and go into and see what's in your heart and what's in your mind. Everything is open and exposed before him. And that's Hebrews 4.13 we know it says, right? Think about this. Many times in a gospel, we, we, we read how Jesus could, he knew what was inside of people, right? Like in Matthew 12, 25, it says, Jesus knowing their thoughts. So we know Jesus knows. He can see. So think about Jesus described this way. Jesus is that prophet who can see everything in you. But as he sees everything, you know what? He can help you confront you with your sin and help you turn from that sin. He can see not just our actions, but into our hearts, what's in our mind, the motive of our hearts. He's that prophet to speak to us and purify us and give us that pure heart. See, so Jesus can, he's, he's in his pure holiness. And then with his eyes, he can see everything with his holy piercing gauge. But it's not to condemn us. It's to bring us to repentance and a right place within. We're going to see that in our letters to the churches. And this is almost like an introduction of how Jesus is going to come and speak to the letters to the churches in the next two chapters. He's the high priest. He's the priest of the church. He's reaching out. He died for them. He, he's with them. But he's also going to confront them of their sin. So he's like that prophet coming forward and speaking against sin and and confronting sin to bring people to the right place. So, Jesus is the high priest of the church in verse 13, the second part. The purifying prophet of the church in verse 14. Finally, number three, Jesus is the Lord and King of the church. And this is what we see in verse 15 and 16. Verse 15 says, His feet were like burnished, burnished bronze, refined in a furnace and his voice was like the roar of many waters his right hand he held seven stars and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword and his faith was face was like the sun shining in full strength so here now john turns from this robe the sash to 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 um, his hair and all and his eyes now he goes to his feet and he says his feet were like burnished bronze refined in a in the furnace. Now, now, bronze usually in a Bible speaks of judgment. And this speaks of Jesus' righteous judgment that he's going to bring upon the earth. And you know what I was thinking? This is the righteous judgment that Jesus will crush the serpent's head with. Remember the prophecy in Genesis 3, 3 uh, 15? It's like, yeah! Here he is with those legs, yeah, with, with those feet of bronze of judgment. He's going to crush that serpent. Yeah, can't wait, just as was prophesied. And then next, 
In verse 15, his voice was like the roar of many waters. Now notice how the vo- loud voice, the trumpet-like voice, now turned into this roar, right? Like this loud roar, loud voice. And it really speaks of Jesus' supreme and sovereign power and authority. He's the ultimate authority. What he says goes. What he says will happen. And then, in his right hand in verse 16, he held seven stars. What's the seven stars? There's that number again. Yeah, the number of completion. We're going to see a lot of numbers of that. But what's the stars now? Well, you know what? Jesus actually tells us in verse 20, if you look again, it says, As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are what? Are the angels of the seven churches. Now, what is that now? What's the angels of the seven churches? Well, commentators speculate that, well, it could be there's an angel watching over each church, each of the seven churches or each of the churches. But more likely, uh, as we read on more, that the seven stars really represent the leaders of the church, the pastor of the church. So most commentators will, will say that that's what it's really talking about. And as we go on, it'll, I think it'll, it'll make more sense in, in that way too. So most likely, uh, in his right hand, he holds the seven uh, leaders of the church or the pastors of the church, which, which really says this. Jesus is in control of the church. He's the head, right? We are the body, Colossians 1.18. So Jesus really, he's the king. He's the Lord over the churches. So that's what that's saying. And then, out of his mouth, now from his mouth, verse 16, came a sharp two-edged sword. And I love that. Out of his mouth. What's that describing? Well, it's a two-edged sword, really. He's talking about what he says, what he commands, uh, what judgment comes Whatever he says, it's going to happen. Whatever he, he, he says into being, whatever judgment comes, it, nothing can stop it. It's invincible. And I want you to think about this for a moment. Here, in verse 16, the word sword here is the Greek word ramphia, ramphia, ramphia. And it describes the Roman broadsword. You know, the, in the movies you see that big sword they had. They take two hands and they swing it around like that. Well, it has two edges on it. And did you know that the Romans, that's the Roman technology? Back then, uh, uh, there couldn't be, there wasn't any steel strong enough to make a two-edged sword. There was only one edge. But the Romans perfected that and they would, they made a two-edged sword and, and they were fierce with that. Nothing could stop them. So that's why there's this two-edged sword coming out from his mouth, and it just shows that his word, basically, is unstoppable. And no matter, it will happen, it will will come to pass, he will protect his church. Finally, John says this, and his face at the end of verse 16, was like the sun shining in full strength. And what is that? Well, That's His glory, right? God's glory coming out, shining through Jesus. The sun in its full strength. You know, sometimes you can't see. uh, Totally coming out, shining through Jesus, the Lord and God of all. The Lord and King of all.
John writes of really right here, we get a true view of Jesus Christ, of what he really looked like. No matter what those images and stuff are, this is really it. This is it, right here, what we're looking at. We're going to get some more, too, as we go through more images, so to speak, or descriptions as we go through Revelation. But, but, but think about this right now. Jesus, in all of his glory. Jesus, the Lord and King, the prophet, the high priest here. Henry Morris wrote, John turned and saw the most glorious sight ever, beheld by mortal eyes, none other than the glorified Christ. And this is it. This is the glorified Christ, the one, our high priest, our prophet, our king, our Lord and king. You know what? There's, this is Jesus, greater than anything. And, and, and that's what is being put into our minds right now. This is what God wants you to see Jesus in this description. You know, um, as you know how the sun kind of shifts through our seasons here and, and all. And today when we were coming church and, and we, we, we go up Iolani and, and turn up to, uh, uh, well, it connects to Makwal anyway, right? And you, and you come up and turn. And, and, and today it was easy to make the turn, but for the past month, uh, the sun had, was in this, the sun had shifted today, but the sun was in this certain position that as soon as I, I come up to a certain point in Pukulani and Iolani to make the turn, right before the turn, oh, it's right there in your eyes. And I, I, I could barely see, you know. I mean, have you ever been on a road like that where all of a sudden the sun is like right in and then it's just, everything is eclipsed, right? And sometimes like, oh, I got to ask Kristen, wait, wait. No one's in front of us, right? You know, you know, kind of thing. But all you can see is just, just the sun, and it just eclipses you for a moment, you know, until you get past that moment. And it's like, okay, okay, I can see. I tell you, it's worse when your windows are dirty. <laughs> so I, I got to clean my windows. And this, at that moment, the sun eclipses everything else. But that's what Jesus wants you to see today. That's what God wants you to see. I wish we had a picture of this. I wish we could put it up on the screen like I did the pizza and all all that. But focus in on the words. Focus in on the description here. Focus in on that and put into your mind to challenge you. to, To change your mental picture of Jesus so it would affect your life. God wants us to get a true view of who He is in this appearance of Jesus. Be encouraged when you see that, to find hope in this. And let, the, let this view of Jesus eclipse everything that may be going on in your life. Understand, Jesus is your high priest, right? He's interceding for you. He's not against you. He's for you. You may not feel like it, but Jesus is here in the midst. Jesus is your purifying prophet. He knows you through and through. He's keeping you to live right, helping you to not sin, to to, to go away, to turn from that sin you've, you've been habitually doing. Listen, He's that prophet speaking to you right now, saying, turn from that sin. Stop it. No more. He's speaking as a prophet, gazing into your very soul and convicting you through the Holy Spirit. Jesus is our high priest and purifying prophet, but he's the Lord and King, right? He's the one in control. He's greater than everything. He's awesome in power, you guys. So you know what? If he is the Lord and King, then surrender your life to him and obey what he wants you to do. If he comes to you with this assignment 
an assignment and He appears to you, then do. He's the Lord and King. Even though you may be on your island of Patmos. You know, I think about, you remember Joshua? When he faced the Jericho wall. Right? They're coming in to, to take the promised land. and He faced the Jericho wall. You know what? The Lord and King Jesus appeared before him with a sword. You remember that image? And, and he appeared before Joshua. And Joshua didn't recognize him at first. And he said, are you friend or foe, basically? And the Lord replied, I am the commander of the Lord's army. And Joshua, right with that, knew who that was. That was the Lord. And he fell down to his face. And I like the NLT. The NLT says Joshua, uh, quotes Joshua saying, I am at your command. What do you want your servant to do? That's how we should be. That's the way we should be on our island of Patmos, wherever we're at, that he is the Lord and King. And we'll listen and obey him. That he sees us through and through. But he's there helping us. It's not, he's not condemning us. He's there for us to be with us. So Jesus wants to reveal himself to you, to give you a new revelation. Seek him today. Seek him this week. Seek him in a way. And come and to find out. Have, ask for God to open your eyes to see how awesome and great he is. I'll tell you, when you come face to face with Jesus, it changes everything. Let's go on now to number three, the assurance, the assurance. We've seen the assignment, the appearance, face to face with Jesus. And now the assurance, our last verses here, 17 through 20. But verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Just stop there. Look at John's response, right? He fell down and fainted like, like Joshua did. Imagine being in that awesome presence of God. Joshua, I mean, John must have melted before this holy God. You know, I think, I think about Isaiah in Isaiah 6. When he saw the Lord high and lifted up, what? In Isaiah 6, 5, he said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. That's the same reaction. Throughout the Bible, we see guys who, who come to the Lord like that, and they're, they're just on their face because they see their sinfulness against His holiness and greatness and awesomeness. But look what Jesus did now in verse 17. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last. And the living one, verse 18, I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death in Hades. So Jesus didn't say, Yeah, you're a sinner, get out of here, right? Oh, poof, you're gone. No, he put his hand on him. He touched him and said, Don't be afraid. Fear not. In other words, you're not going to die here. No worries, even though you're a mortal human being seeing me, no worries. Why is that? Well, then Jesus starts to proclaim himself in this I am statement, explaining this. First of all, he says, uh, in verse 17, he says, I am the first and the last. In other words, I am the Alpha and Omega, just like what we saw last time, the beginning and the end. Basically, Jesus is saying, I am the eternal God. You know, I was thinking about this in Isaiah chapter 44, verse 6. It says, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. 
So in Isaiah 44, 6, it says, Thus says the Lord there. The word is Yahweh. The word is Jehovah. And notice Jehovah says in Isaiah 44, 6, I am the first and the last. And who's talking right now? Jesus. And notice Jesus is saying the same thing. So you know what? Jesus is Jehovah to me. Right? I won't say anymore. <laughs> I'll go on and on. So here G- Jesus states, I am the first and the last. And then he goes on in verse 18, and I am the living one. In others, Jesus is alive. He's the eternal God, but he's alive now. Why would he say this? Why say he's the living one? Because he says, I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. What he's talking about, he's talking about he's the one who died on the cross and rose again from the dead. And now he's alive forevermore for eternity. He's the eternal one. He's, 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 he's uh, uh, the living one. He's Jesus Christ, the Messiah. He's the one here. The living one. And then he says here that um, I have the keys of death and Hades. You know, when Jesus died and rose again, he conquered sin and death, right? And he's alive now. He's going to go on living, meaning he's unconquerable. He's not going to be conquered again. And with that, he now holds the key to death and Hades. Death is the condition of the person. Hades is the place you go. In the Greek thinking, Hades was the underworld where bodiless souls go. The Old Testament calls that Sheol. Believers, we, we know, right, in Christ, believers, we understand to be absent from the body is what? To be present with the Lord. But for unbelievers, without Jesus, to be absent from the body is to be present in Hades. That's what Jesus says. Jesus is saying, look, I'm the one who controls it now. I've conquered sin and death. I hold the keys. Wearsby said the one with the keys is the one who has authority. So Jesus gives John the assurance that, look, you're not going to die here seeing God. You're okay. Fear not. It's all right. You're not going to die. I'm the one who holds life and death. Plus, as a believer, Jesus, uh, John and believers are already delivered by Jesus already. So isn't that great to know? Whatever you're facing, God God has your life in His hand and no one has the authority to take it. Be assured, you are safe in Jesus. That's what Jesus is telling John. Then lastly, in verse 19 and 20, He says, Write therefore the things that you have seen, those uh, that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So he explains what, what I had explained to you already, what John saw. But look at verse 19 now. Lastly, he says, write therefore all these things. Write, write, write all these things I'm going to show you. And this is what we have in this book. But Jesus actually gives us an outline to Revelation. And it has three headings. Hey, like me, right? It has three headings. Verse 19, right there for number one, the things that you have seen. Chapter one, what we studied last week and today. Number two, an outline. Those that 
are. The things that are. You know what that is? That's going to be chapter 2 and 3, the letters to the churches. And then third, number 3 in outline, those that are to take place after this, after the churches. That's number 3, which is chapter 4 through 22. So Jesus right here gives us an outline just like I do you. So see, I'm, I'm following the Lord in the same way. So don't complain. <laughs> I know you don't. So here's Jesus. In the midst of the churches, watching over them, watching over the leadership. And Jesus will always be there. So the assurance is this, and this is our last point. You are safe with the Lord Jesus, for he alone holds the authority over life today, yesterday, and into the future. So as he introduces this outline, as he talks about what he's going to do, he's saying, look, John, you're, you're safe with me. I hold that authority. You're okay. I'm going to take care of you. John's going to see incredible things. He's going to feel not worthy to see these things. God's going to give him a, bring into heaven a vision of heaven. He's going to see heaven. Wouldn't you like to see heaven? And he, he's, he's going to be just overwhelmed with all this. But Jesus is saying, look, it'll be okay. You're safe with me. I hold the authority over life today, yesterday, and even into the future. And it's, it's all to help John say, don't worry about what you're going to see. Even the horrible things. I hold that authority today, yesterday, and all the way into the future. You're safe with me. In 2010, um, uh, Tsutomu Yamaguchi died at the age of 93 in, in Japan, this Japanese man. Now, he was in the news because of this. The amazing thing about this man was how he was the only survivor of both atomic bombs dropped on Japan in World War II. On August 6, 1945, Yamaguchi happened to be in Hiroshima on a business trip when the first bomb exploded. And despite his wounds, he was able to return home. And guess where? Nagasaki. <laughs> When he re uh, got home and then he went to work, he arrived to work on August 9th, the second atomic bomb was detonated. Isn't that crazy? Despite the two atomic bombs, Yamaguchi survived and he lived till he was 93 years old. I was thinking, certainly the Lord was with him. Yeah? Certainly. When it's time, it's time. When it's not time, it's not time. Right? God has your life in your hands. No worry, guys. Trust in the Lord. So as we close up here, right from the start, Jesus presents himself in his majestic glory. Right here, right away, what the church needs and what Jesus is doing is this new awareness of Jesus in his glory, of who he is. And, and we, we need to be like Isaiah who saw the Lord high and lifted up. That's what we got to see today. You know what? Many have lost their awe of God. Many have lost that, that, that sense of, wow, Lord, you're incredible. Many have lost that, that awareness of, of that and have lost true worship and lost that true view of Jesus. Many end up standing against Jesus, but many stand and uh, fall down in humility like John did. So what we need to do, what we need to do, 
is seek God in that way. See Jesus and who he is, the priest, the prophet, the Lord and King, and bow down to him. And I'll tell you, when you do that, then you'll get that revelation. We need to do what Evan Roberts prayed. He was praying, bend me, bend me, Lord, bend me. And they say when God answered that prayer, the great Welsh revival was the result. Do you need revival in your heart? I want revival in my heart. We all need revival when it comes with this revelation of Jesus. So let us come to that place where we are face to face with Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you, and as we've seen this description of you, God, open the eyes of our heart and minds to who you really are, to give us encouragement and hope, to see you for who you really are, not what we we create in our minds or what we think and, and what we want you to be for us, but who you really are, Lord. And may those things help us on our island of Patmos. May, may seeing you Revive our hearts, Lord, as you reveal yourself to us and give us new revelation. As you speak to us a new word. As you, as, as you speak into our lives to help us to grow, Lord. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do that very thing as you have, Lord. And as we go into this day and this week, Lord, may you reveal yourself to us in new ways, in greater ways, in deeper ways that, Lord, really reveal the truth about you, Jesus. Help us to look for you, God. Help us to be seeking you, Lord, to not just live life on our own, but to truly come to you and cry out to you in the midst of our troubles. And Lord, as we move into this time of communion, we ask God that you would meet us here. God, we want to honor you. And as we honor you with the cup and the bread, may you make us right with you, so that we may see you more clearly. In Jesus' name, amen.